0: I want to speak uh, about what I would describe the many times that the people of Jesus live in that place. You know, when, when when the difficulty comes, when the challenge comes, when the heartache comes, when the confusion is there, you know, sometimes it's what we've seen here, uh, uh, unable to have a child, uh, uh, such a painful thing that people at, some, at times live through. Sometimes it's the loss of a job. Sometimes it's a sick child. You know, the list is lengthy. I don't need to delineate it too much. You know why? Because I know all of you have experienced such times. Times of suffering and of heartache. Times of, um, you know, the the business failing and bankruptcy. The times of divorce that people live through. When the marriage just can't somehow get fixed. The time when you feel and are told you're really sick and you might die. I mean, on and on it goes. And you know, in those times, I think what is the most common and natural thing in the world is for people to ask, why? Why me, God? Why is it me that I, that, that I have to live through this? God, where are you? Often it's, God, if you really loved me, God, if you're good, you'd never allow this to happen in my life. these are tough times for people of faith. And I'm assuming as I speak today that I'm speaking to people who have come to that place and they know Christ and they've invited him into their lives and they are living in relationship with him and they love him and they have a deep sense that God loves them. But then this time just happens. And sometimes we just don't quite know what to do with it. I want to tell you, I wrote this uh, sermon and it was finished on Thursday, and what happened on Friday? Humboldt happened on Friday. And that's one of those huge times. At least one person that I know was killed was from a Christian family, a very committed Christian man, just from what I've heard on the radio and TV. What must his family be thinking today? And I needed to go back to this sermon to be quite honest with you and say, oh my goodness, does this, do I need to change this? Because this has impacted our country, hasn't it? And I'll tell you honestly, I didn't change a thing because I think what I've captured here, I hope and I pray what I've captured here is the truth of the word of God. And as we enter into this discussion, which will last over four Sundays, we'll have a little interruption here and there, but we're going to take a look at this. This is edition one, okay? These aren't easy questions to address. So let's work this through this together and let's look to God to see what God has to say through his word. We're gonna go to Exodus chapter 14. And we're gonna look at one of those situations where God's people um, have been freed from uh, generations of slavery in Egypt. God has sent Moses, and and, and Moses has challenged Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and has led the people of God from that place and, and to freedom. Um, God has intervened in powerful ways to make that happen. Pharaoh lets them go and they move out with great joy and with great celebration and with great wealth. They have plundered Egypt. It's a powerful picture of the weak overcoming the strong by the power of God. Life couldn't be better. The promised land is is ahead of them. They've been told, I have a place for you by the Lord Himself. God is with them. The pillar of fire and the pillar of, of smoke is literally guiding them, representing God's presence. And then chapter 14 happens. I'm going to read it to you. As I read it to you, what I want you to do, if you would, is listen for the action of God. I'm going to be really honest with you today about these things. Listen for the action of God, which leads to the people of God being found in one of these very difficult, painful places. Exodus 14, 1-12. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Haharoth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in the, the land con, in confusion hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the, when the king of Egypt was told so that when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the... Uh, Hmm, that's not quite right, is it? We have let the people go. Thank you. I was about to reach for my phone. Technical glitches, but here we go. Wow, you can tell you're not 58. That is very small print. (laughs) My arm is definitely not long enough here. You did that on purpose, didn't you, Aaron? Yeah, let's just, let's just do it for fun. Where were we? What verse were we at? Um, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, we, what have we done? We, we have lost their services. So he had his chariots made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them all. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near pi Haroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. do not be afraid there you go thank you so there it is you know did you hear it one of those situations where God's people who have been blessed who were marching out boldly who were free enter into a scenario where God just doesn't make sense to them you know They were, as the text said, terrified upon seeing the Egyptian army, and they cried out to the Lord. Now, the Bible says at times that we need to cry out to the Lord, but not like this. Later on, in a few verses, God says, why are you crying out to me? This is not something he celebrates, because this is a cry of fearful terror. I want you to understand this. This is an awful experience for these people. They believed that their lives were threatened. They believed that their lives were about to end. They knew Pharaoh. They knew his cruelty. They knew his power. They knew that they were no match for this army of his. But here's the shocking thing, and I think the text wants us shocked. If you weren't shocked as I read it to you, let let the text shock you now. They had done, the people of God had done exactly what God had told them to do, with the result being that they were hemmed in by the sea and vulnerable to Pharaoh's attack. Let me put it another way. God directly led them into a place where they experienced great fear and threat. And they went through a terrible experience as a result. Not only that, the text says, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. In verse 4, it says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And then in verse 8, it says, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. There's a point being made here. God is intervening. And not only did God put his people in that tough and difficult place, but he so influenced the Egyptian king that he chased after them. And I want to deal with this reality. God so arranged the events of that day that his people ended up terrified, struggling, in great trouble and difficulty. And then think about the response. Verses 10 to 12. (laughs) What did they do? They started essentially attacking their leader. Um, you know, and Moses had only done what God had told him to do. But they said, you know, why did you bring us here to die? You know, we told you to leave us alone. Isn't it better that we have, would have stayed as slaves in Egypt than to end up dead here? And I want you to think about where they're at. Understand the fear that has gripped their minds and the perspective that they, that, they, that they are holding as they lash out at Moses, as they blame him and as they criticize him. There is no hope. There is no reference to the fact that God is with them. There is no reference or recognition of the fact that God has promised them anything, an incredible future, nothing of that. There is a completely negative orientation to their circumstance. And I want to tell you there's only two options. Number one, the option of having stayed in Egypt and being slaves forever or being dead and buried in the desert. And I say to you again, have you ever been there? I have, my sense is you have too. You see, moments prior they were marching out and the word is boldly, life is good, you know? But instantly, all of a sudden, they're in this experience of turmoil and fear You know, we can be that. We can live that reality. Times when we only see a potentially bad outcome, a time when we cry out to God, and a time when we complain about our circumstance, and a time when we sometimes even blame God for the place that we find ourselves in. And we are desperately afraid about what might next come into our lives. I want to ask with you, talk with you today about what we can learn here. Because God created the scenario. That's the shocking part. We have a lot to learn about this, okay? So stick with me, not only today, but through the weeks. But God created the scenario whereby his people suffered. I want to start with this, number one. We don't think that this is how God works, do we? We we just don't assume that this is how God does his thing. If God really loved me, he'd never have allowed this to take place. If God was truly good, as we have just sung, there's no way he would have let this happen to me. That's sometimes a thought. But lesson number one is this. My friends, this is how God works. This is how God acts in our lives. God does allow us to experience those awful, awful moments To some degree or another, they seem to happen in our lives. And my friends, we cannot think otherwise. We cannot think God loves me, therefore I will not suffer ever. We cannot think God is good, therefore I will never suffer. That is unbiblical thinking. It is clearly not taught in this passage. It's clearly not taught in the rest of Scripture. But very often, that is exactly how we think. And I want to suggest to you, if we embrace that mentality, that approach, that belief, it will only set us up for huge disillusionment and struggle in the midst of suffering. Suffering is part of the life of the believer, so the Bible says. We cannot be surprised when when it happens. We have got to learn, ideally, not to react to it in a negative way. Can I put it this way? We need to expect it, because it's coming. it this way can we normalize it because this is the condition of our lives so number one can we just recognize this is how God sometimes works in our lives he lets it happen what's happened in my life I don't like it and I don't want it (laughs) I don't like pain and heartache and I wish to my core that God hadn't permitted it But what scripture is saying to us here this morning is that he does. Point number one. Point number two is this, and it's very simply this, God is a sovereign God. Now what does that mean? Let me describe it to you this way. God is in absolute control of all that happens. Everything. Sometimes that's what causes our difficulty. You didn't have to allow this God, but you have. But I want you to think, for example, of Pharaoh and his heart. This incredibly powerful military and political leader is played like a pawn in a chess game by God. So much so that he ends up doing exactly what God wants him to do. Now think about this. Think about the Israelites who have been in Egypt for 400 years and for much of that they have been slaves. They know the power of Pharaoh and they know how cruel he has been to them. And he knows, they know the the, the strength and the might of his army. But the message is this and it is clear and it needs to be profoundly understood and embraced. Pharaoh is not powerful. God is powerful. (laughs) You know, You might think Pharaoh is this almighty power, but you know, he is nothing in the hand of God. And we need to know, my friends, in the midst of suffering, which we have and which we are potentially, and which we will experience, we need to know at the core of our being is that even though evil is real, and even though it, yes, it is powerful, God is far more powerful than evil. See, this is core teaching of the text through this whole story of liberation God hardened Pharaoh's heart think about this first of all to not let the Egyptians the Israelites leave Egypt and then he softened Pharaoh's heart so that he would let them leave Egypt and then he hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would go after the Egyptians and then he obliterated him <laughs> who's in control and who's powerful i want to tell you our god is powerful he is in control, and we need to know in the midst of our sufferings that because he is powerful and because he is controlled, it's okay to be here right now. And I want to tell you, too, the sovereignty of God also means that all, happen, all that happens in our lives, all of it is part of God's sovereign plan through which evil is used to produce God's end, which always includes our blessing. See, it takes great faith to believe that when we're suffering. I'm telling you, this this is not Christianity 101. This is advanced stuff. And it usually takes a lifetime, in my experience, for people to be able to hear this and embrace it and live it. But I have talked to some older people who have experienced tragedies in their life and who have suffered in their lives, and what happens to it it happens to them again. You know what they say? They say, you know what? I wish I wasn't here. I don't like what's happening. This hurts desperately. But I know God is in control and I know God has a sovereign will. And if this is His will for me, I'm okay with it. And you know what I do when I hear that? I stand back and I go, oh, wow. That is remarkable. That is remarkable. My friends, that's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. Number one, understand that God allows suffering in our lives. Number two, understand that God is all-powerful and he is sovereign, and he uses this dynamic and this reality. Number three, and this is critical, in the midst of suffering, we must know, contrary to these people, we must know that God is with us. He is present to us. By his direct intervention... In this circumstance, if if you know indeed the story of the people of Israel and and indeed the rest of the story of Exodus 14 where the the Egyptian army is demolished and the people of Israel are allowed to walk through the sea on dry land to their freedom. In this circumstance, he leads his people through suffering to an incredible place of blessing. You see, God could see what was coming for them. God knew what was ahead for them. God knew what he was up to, but they couldn't. It just wasn't possible. And neither can we so often. We don't know the why. We just know the who. And we just need to know in the depth of our being that this God of love and this God who is good is with us, and he is leading us to a place of blessing even through deep heartache and suffering. That's partly why James could write this verse, James 1 verse 2, which says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I'm not wanting you to put up your hands, but how many of you have gotten to that place where you can actually consider with joy the fact that you are suffering? That's a challenge, but it's a challenge. And if we can get our heads right about what God is doing and about who God is, that's where we'll end up. We will know joy in our hearts because we're in that place of trial in this moment because we know that God is taking us somewhere remarkable. Let me put it this way to you. This is the lesson. When we're in the midst of suffering, we have to embrace this principle. What is ahead of us? will always be better than what is behind us. Every single time, what is ahead of us, what is coming, what we're moving toward is always going to be better than what we are leaving in our past. You see, part of the unfortunate way that God's people reacted in this instance in in Exodus chapter 14 was that they literally were willing to choose bondage and slavery over freedom. It would have been better for us just to keep on serving the Egyptians. (laughs) They literally think that would have been a better option in this moment. You know, they would have preferred to be left the way they were rather than suffer in this experience, which was leading them forward into a new expression of incredible freedom. My friends, why does God allow us to suffer? Why does God so arrange the events of our lives that yes, we struggle and we hurt and it's painful and it's difficult sometimes even beyond our sense that we can cope with this? It is because we need to be led from bondage to freedom. We need to be led from the power of sin in our life and and, and the woundedness of our past so that we can move through suffering to a place where freedom becomes ours in and through the person and the power of Jesus Christ. You see, these people in their negative thinking, if I can call it that, saw only two options slavery or buried in the desert. God saw a third. And He had it in His hands for them, and He was moving them toward it. He called it the promised land. You know what Jesus Christ called it? Abundant life. I don't get it and I don't like it and I wish it wasn't so, but suffering is what's required to take us to that place of really deeply knowing God is with me and the healing of God in my life and the transformation of my heart and my mind till I come to that place where I believe and I'm living in relationship and I'm living in the way that God wishes me to live. You see, for those who are in Christ, there is always hope. There is always purpose (laughs) in the Lord Jesus. Probably one of the worst experiences of my life I've told you about a few times. And that's when I burned out, 2012, 2013. I don't know how many of you have done that. I know some of you have. Uh, But it was really awful, just to sum it up. Um, I studied it, I learned lots about it. Like, what is happening to me? Uh, There's a strong physical component my adrenal system, or I didn't have this checked out or anything, but the adrenal system of such people, after living with stress and tension for too long and driving too hard just depletes. Serotonin levels drop dramatically, uh, and it just leaves you with nothing left to give. Like, nothing. Um, I can remember at the beginning of that time, and I was blessed by our elders with a sabbatical just so I can get my head together. I had to get away, I told you that. But I can remember saying to Christ in prayer with tears in my eyes. I said, Lord, I don't know if you can fix this, you know, my heart. But if you can, go ahead. And I meant it. I didn't know whether he could fix what I was living. But I'll tell you in that moment what I knew what I knew, what I knew, what I knew was that all I had was me and Jesus. Can I put it that way? I didn't have anything else. I was done. And for a time, and I should say too, depression, there's an emotional component to it where you're hopeless and you're negative and you can't see the way forward. I lived this. And for a time, and I have mentioned this to you, but I want to say it again, uh, subsequent to that experience, and God did do some things that took me forward but I blamed some people for me ending up there and it took a while a for me to truly forgive but more importantly for me to come to a place where I said and I could say it with conviction it wasn't the result of anybody else that took me to that place God led me straight into it and into all the suffering I encountered and in that place God changed me And God dealt with wounds that had been in my life, all my life. My brokenness, right? The stuff in me that kept me from truly living in Christ. And I thank God in his wisdom and his understanding, which is so beyond mine or anyone's, looked at Chris Little and he said, Chris, this is the journey you gotta walk in order for you to come into your blessing. I gotta tell you, I'm still healing and I'm still growing and God's still dealing with my wounds. I think he probably always will. But man, I'm telling you, I'm not where I once was. And I'm encountering life in Christ like I never did before. Um, Here's what I wanna say to you, my friends, today. The question in the end is, will we trust God when we're there? Will we trust God? You know, we can be shocked and, about this happening and we can fight it and we can complain and we can blame God and wish we weren't there. We can question his love and his goodness. We can see only death and negativity in our future. We can. Or we can recognize there's a third option here. We can know and have conviction that God is right here with me. If you're suffering today, I want you to know that. He is with you, and we can know in our heart of hearts that he is the powerful one, and this evil that we are encountering in whatever fashion, this Pharaoh with his armies that are coming against us, me, they're not gonna win. They're not powerful, really. We can know that God is the powerful one and we can know that he will act because he has promised to never leave us or forsake us and because he is a God of love and because he is a God of goodness. And it's through that action and because of this suffering, he's going to lead us into a better tomorrow and we will be blessed. We're not going to be able to see the future. We're going to, we, we don't have the capacity to do what God can do. But we can know in our heart of hearts that there's a blessed tomorrow awaiting us because of this. You know, it's funny that Aaron handed me that very small print Bible. For all I know, it's not that small. I don't know. It uh, looks small to me. But, and I thought about saying this, but when I was young, it's like I should be getting my rocking chair ready for the nursing home or something, you know. But this is very true. I'm talking about my teens and my 20s and probably well into my 30s. When I was younger, I honestly thought this. Life is good. That's the nature of life. Good. And when bad things happen to my life, I thought, this is an aberration. This shouldn't be happening. This is odd. And I just have to somehow get through this and get back to what's normal. Back to life being good again. You know what I think Now? I think something I couldn't have thought when I was a teenager or in my 20s or maybe even in my 30s. I just couldn't have. I hadn't lived the journey. So if you're there, can you listen and maybe glean some wisdom from the old guy? Here's what I've discovered and what I believe to the core of my being now. There are many wonderful and good moments and good seasons of life to be enjoyed and celebrated. But the reality is that there are many hard and difficult and painful moments and hard and difficult seasons in life that can't be avoided. And both make up life for us. That's just the way it is. It's not how God made it to be. It's not how the Lord wanted us to experience life, but we walked away from him in the garden and all of a sudden, this is the reality that is. It just is. What I have tried to do, <laughs> what I try to do, is when those times come into my life, and they do, to try not to be surprised by them. To try to, if you would, accept them as part of life. To not question God's love or his goodness, but to know that even in and through this, God is being good to me. Like that, that ought to blow your mind a little bit if you've never thought that before. But in your suffering, you are blessed if you're in Jesus. And I try to know that God is with me and I try to rest in his presence. And we're gonna talk more about these things. But I try to believe at the core of my being that because God is in this and because God has allowed this, there is something remarkable in my future. Because this God of mine, he loves me. And this God of mine is good. My friends, we're in the year of the Bible, as you know, at IPC, and I hope you're reading your Bible on a daily basis, and I hope you're digging in in your life groups at home, and you're studying it, and you're allowing its truth to transform your thinking. My experience, many, many followers of Jesus need this truth to transform their thinking because they haven't embraced it yet. Um, This is such important stuff. You know why? Why? I've said it already. It's simple. All of us here, if God gives us time, will suffer. Some of us a whole lot. Some of us by the grace of God, less so. For some of us it might be humbled. For some of us, it might be struggling with the depression. etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. That's in God's hands. My friends, I want you to know the, the biblical truth. I want you to believe it. And I want you to allow this truth to sustain you and enable you and empower you to move through that reality to a much, much better place. Can I say this? This is God's will for you to know these things. And as hard as it can be to embrace them and live them, this is what God wants for you. He wants you to know this is His way. He wants you to know that he is there and that he is powerful. That he is loving and that he is good. And that he is taking you somewhere that is remarkable. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we're human beings and that and the, the dynamic reality is that we need our thinking, our natural thinking processes to be transformed by the truth of your word. We need to think your thoughts, not our own anymore, if we are in Christ. While we're in this year of the Bible and while we're trying to go deeper and while we're trying to, to, to be challenged in ways that we need to be challenged in our thinking so that the truth of God does descend into our beings, now we challenge this dynamic reality of suffering and we pray our God that you will work by your spirit in our lives God I want to stop right now and I want to pray for people in our church who are suffering and there are such people And God, we pray that this truth might be a blessing to them. We pray that this truth might be empowering and encouraging to them. We pray that you would take them from a place potentially of great negativity and hopelessness to a place of faith and of trust and of optimism for what is yet to come. And we pray, Lord, that while they're in that place of suffering, you'll use that suffering in a redemptive way to transform people that they might truly know life. God, we think of the people of Humboldt today, particularly families who have lost precious, precious people, and we pray that you would be with those people. They'll be in shock right now, God, but what we pray is that you will just come by your Holy Spirit and sustain them and give them strength, a strength that is far beyond their own capacity, and that you will carry them through these days and well into the future. Teach them of your love and of your grace, faithfulness of your goodness and in time Lord allow them to stand on their feet again in strength because of that reality to move forward into what you promise for your people to be a good future Lord I pray for all of us we pray together for one another that uh, yeah God we'll think your thoughts and that by doing so our lives will be transformed by the power of your truth the influence of your spirit god bless this series which we have much more to learn from and uh, show us your goodness reveal to us your way and help us God help us to trust in you as we pray in Christ's name